0: You know how fortunate you are to be in a congregation where the choir really knows how to lead you in singing. I'm telling you, right? That's Methodist singing. I'm a little biased. Thank you for your warm welcome. It's always good to be back here and um, just to see people that I've known for a long time and meet new people. So let's, let's take a moment, and if you would, uh, pause with me. Lord, may our words, our singing, our meditation, and our heart's yearnings reach your ears and open us to hear your word back to us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. The end. (laughs) That's as most of you know. Psalm 150 is the end of the book of Psalms. The final chapter in the book known as the Bible's prayer book. It's quite the finale when you think about it. I started hearing kind of, you know, um, other other final movements, other really stirring, dramatic pieces like, the, we're about to hear, of course, as we do on July 4th, for a reason I have never understood, the Overture of 1812, right? <laughs> so you're going to hear, this would be like, after all these things, I mean, this if you amplified it, that's what it would sound like. It would have brass, it would have bells, it might have cannons. Okay, maybe, maybe just timpani, but anyway. Or the last movement of Beethoven's Ninth, which is, you know, fully orchestrated. I mean, there must be ten uh, versions of every instrument in there, and the timpani, and a full choir. And it's praise. It's just flat-out, full-body praise. And we know from just listening to the hymns that we've sung today that praise connotes awe and adoration and amazement. So if you only read 150, or a newcomer read them, they'd say, oh, I probably don't need to read the whole book because it must all be like that. Not quite. Psalm 50 comes at the end of a journey of prayer that we make with the psalmist. Because praise is not the only kind of prayer that appears in the Psalms, is it? Not at all. It's not the only kind of prayer that um, appears throughout the biblical story, and it's certainly not the only kind of prayer you and I have uttered in our lives. We could, for instance, if I were really going to make you a little bit Flustered I would start telling you where to turn in the hymnal and then read this and read that But I'm just going to tell you that if you turn to hymn 2122, You'd find that one wonderful hymn, God of the um, sparrow. sparrow, I didn't know which, which animal came first God of the sparrow, God of the whale and there's a little litany in there. How does the creature say? awe And then at the end of it it says how does the creature say praise? But in the next verse, it says, how does the creature say, whoa, W-O-E, how does the creature say save? So hymns are really like prayers. My own bias is that they actually are prayers. They can be petitions. Like on your life's journey, like mine, there are times when we absolutely crave God's mercy and closeness, don't we? Basically, we're beggars. We want strength and support. You can think of um, Martin Luther King's favorite hymn. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am worn. We pray differently, don't we, when we're up against the wall. We need deliverance, we need protection. We want to hide, rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Or our prayer can really be, as there are many prayers in the Psalms, of lament. And lament is simply praying when you're sad. Praying when you're on your last leg and usually from loss, but maybe from loss of opportunity or dream, you are just sunk down into despair. The psalmist, the prophets, Jesus himself never shied away from showing that part of themselves. You remember the Garden of Gethsemane prayer, if it be possible, take this from me. I mean, that is a petition and a lament rolled right into one. Now, that book that you are holding to sing from, and will again, is full of prayers. As our appreciation for the varieties of experience that people have has deepened, now we have different kinds of hymns than we used to. Sometimes we can't quite, you know, relate to some of the wonderful old ones. But if you actually sing them through, like we did in the garden, um, you you can, if you're not dismissing it, if you're hearing it, you can begin to sense what it is, to use an old-fashioned word, uh, what piety was moving that person. Piety simply means deep connection to God. It does not mean showing off. It means a central focus on God in our lives. So as we realize that people are different and they pray differently, our hymns started to change their character. You don't always have to sing about a mighty fortress is our God or we're, you know, marching against the powers of evil and doom and all of those things. You can sing a hymn of meditation like, I think we're going to sing, find, Let Me Find the Quiet at the Center. Let Me Find the Quiet Center. Or we have hymn, Prayers of Compassion, which were sort of present before the 50s or 60s. And if you don't happen to know, by the way, Diana Sanchez Bouchon is part of the committee that is responsible for the hymnal you are singing from. So there are a lot more hymns of compassion. You know, you often sing cuando el pobre, when the poor are needing us and God is there. We have to turn this off. You're making music. I'm making music, which is only because my foolish phone doesn't know to stop telling me to take my eye drops. I apologize. It shuts up for everything but that one thing. <laughs> and sometimes I remember to shut it up. So you'll find a lot of prayers, of, hymns of compassion. Or prayers, hymns of determined motivation. Like one congregational favorite I know is Sia Hamba, right? We are marching. And this, this congregation actually gets moving to that, as I remember. We are marching in the light of God because it's a joyful determination to seek justice for everyone. Now, like you, there have been times in my life when I've been deeply discouraged, or frightened, or felt alone, and more often than not, I actually sat down at the piano and literally prayed, I mean played at the piano through the Methodist hymnal the one that I grew up with and then the next one and now this one. And I played and sang through tears, through frustration, through despair until my heart was quieted and I found peace. That to me is a real testimony about what that book, the hymn book contains. Because hymns and songs of faith are meant to nourish our souls. They're not just things that you stand up on Sunday and either look at the floor during, or look at the screen, or if you don't think you have that great a voice, you decide no one should be blessed with it at this hour of the morning. But whether you sing them or not, I invite you, I encourage you, to read them. To consider the meaning of the words. Do they make sense to you? Do they speak to your experience? A lot of them won't. And once in a while, you'll discover one that's just like what you felt this week. And there's this kind of like, how could somebody in the 18th century have known what this feels like? They can puzzle you, they can alienate you, they can frustrate you, but I would encourage you, don't just go through the motions. Let them penetrate your mind and heart you might even stop singing and just be sort of you know caught by the sense that there is something larger moving in this hymn I don't know if you've ever noticed in the front of the hymnal are John Wesley's directions for singing I'm sure um, Diana made you memorize those right some of them are a little you know Sing all of it, even if you don't think you, you can sing, sing lustily. Well, those of you who knew my, my husband, who was a Methodist preacher, was taught that sing lustily even if you have possibly the worst voice. And right, but some of you remember sitting next to Bob, and I would be scrunching because I'm quite a good singer, and he said, My dad told me to do this. And so he His dad was also a Methodist preacher. But it's typical of Wesley to put something like that in there from years ago, because he always wanted to teach and involve and invite people in worship. But not only into the service or the hymn, but into what he found was the saving grace of the gospel. He concludes with these words, above all, sing spiritually. Now this does not mean like looking up to heaven. In singing, what he meant is we are offering our hearts to God. Sometimes there's a tendency to make light of poor Wesley's warmed heart. You know, he had a conversion experience. He said his heart was strangely warmed And even Methodist seminarians and preachers make fun of that sometimes. It sounds a little, you know, woo-woo. What does that mean? But if we understand the language of the time, it makes Wesley a descendant of the psalmist. He recognized that the heart is the center of the self, the whole person, not just your center of feelings. So when he sang, and we can be sure he did sing lustily, he also was offering his whole self to God. And may it be so with us as well. Amen.